Happy Halloween, everyone. Welcome to another episode of After the Game and a conversation with me and my dad, where we talk about the post-jazz game and all things sports related. My name is Spencer. Hey, and this is the dad, Barry. Welcome again to another episode of After the Game. Back-to-back games last night in Chicago, tonight in Milwaukee, and the Jazz get back to their winning ways with a 107 uh, let me just see. I just had a, a 107-95 win against the defending champion Milwaukee Bucks. Feels good to get back in the winning ways to get our record to five wins and one losses. Any initial thoughts, Spencer? So a big takeaway, I thought. I don't know what you thought, but Brooke Lopez on Milwaukee and Middleton for Milwaukee weren't playing. So it wasn't a full-strength Bucks team. But Giannis is still top player in the NBA. His minutes were a little weird, I thought, but he still played really well. The Jazz are a good team, and having Conley back was a lot better. What'd you think? Yeah, so the Bucks were coming off a of back-to-back. They lost last night in San Antonio, and at last night's episode, I said it'll be interesting because I thought they would have come out with a little bit more fire. But the, the the reality of this is Brooke Lopez didn't play. Chris Middleton didn't play. Um, Drew Holiday didn't play. So this isn't the championship roster from last year, but you're absolutely right. Giannis is Giannis. He had 34 minutes tonight. Didn't play the last between the fourth minute mark and the one minute mark. It was a little strange. As you said, he ended up with 25 points and seven rebounds. So a a solid game, but the jazz came to play tonight. It makes a huge difference when Conley is in the lineup. So this Tell me what you think of this. I mean, this isn't the only reason, but I think the main reason why the Jazz won tonight was because Conley was back and he had 20 points. I think you're right. Again, it sets the mood and the tone for the team to know they have Conley there. He came out firing. I think he hit, I don't know, two, three, four, three-pointers in a row, and the Jazz really got hot and made a statement early against the Bucks, and then held on late to get the win. A couple of things that we'll talk about in the broadcast, there were two streaks that were ended tonight. One's a mini streak for the season and one's a a real sad one. I'll start with the mini streak and then I'll let you speak about the sad one. But Rudy Gobert has nine points and 13 rebounds tonight. Prior to the game, NBA TV was talking about him being in the MVP talk, which is absolutely true. He's had an amazing first five, six games of the season now. However, tonight was not a game that played to him. He only took three shots and made two of them. And then he had 13 rebounds uh, and nine points. So they didn't need Rudy that much tonight. What was interesting is Rudy would go to the hoop and see Giannis. Giannis did to Rudy what Rudy does to everybody else makes them think, and I found that interesting. He still had four blocks, though. So his presence was there, but since Lopez wasn't in the game, maybe he didn't really, I don't know. He is a little bit afraid of Giannis. And then the other streak that ended was Clarkson's three-point every game streak. Before tonight, he had hit a three-point shot for the past, what was it, 98 games? Yeah, it was in the 90s last time I checked, and it was one of the longer streaks in NBA history. So he had passed Clay Thompson. He was up there on the list with Stephen Curry and really was hitting a three every game. That's kind of his game is just having a green light to shoot. He ended with 15 points on the night and a couple of steals. 
but he really did not shoot super great, shooting only 35%. He attempted uh, seven three-pointers and didn't make one of them. And it just seems weird because we're not used to that with with Clarkson. I mean, every player, I don't know about you, what you think, but every player has a game or two where they don't come out to play. But this was a back-to-back performance by Clarkson where he just didn't feel like the normal Clarkson that we're used to. We've seen him in this slump, right, over the last – uh, two games really and sometimes it's just seeing the ball go in the basket what's a little interesting as we talk about this slump of Jordan Clarkson but he had 15 points again tonight and last night he had about the same he's averaging 16 17 a game and slumps um, misses shooting percentages he still can go get you a bucket. And tonight you saw him when he wanted to get to the rim. Generally, he can get to the rim and score, which makes Jordan just so glad that he's on our team. He's the guy, and you've heard announcers say this, he's the guy that if he was on the other team and we were playing him, he would drive us crazy. Definitely. And he had a technical foul tonight. I think he was kind of jarring with uh, Grayson Allen. But mainly I just think he's just frustrated. And being frustrated can – really be detrimental to your play. If you're just not making shots and it gets worse and worse and worse, and then you just get to the limit. And so he kind of was there and got, got a technical foul for that. But yeah, you're absolutely right. Jordan Clarkson is a coach's best friend where he can just go in and do more than what he's required in minutes that, that really can determine the basketball game. So very well done by Clarkson. And hopefully he can get off his, his um, slump fast and start hitting his threes like we're used to. I think if you look at Milwaukee, Grayson Allen had a night that he won't really have too often. His career high with the Bucks is 19 points, and he scored 18 points tonight. And that was kind of a wild card for us. He didn't really start heating up until the end of the game, but still, when a when a player has a career night, it kind of is frustrating for the Jazz. Even though the Jazz didn't really ever go down, they were they were winning most of the game by a good, at least around 10 points, you could still feel things starting to heat up for Grayson Allen, which isn't common for him, but but it started to affect the Jazz. You know, you hear people say when a player plays his old team, he gets up for it. He got up for it tonight. He was five for 10 from three. He set his feet on a couple of those coming off picks and did his job. You know, without Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday, the rest of the, the guys – that are on that team. DiVincenzo has been out. Pat Connaughton was okay. Grace, Grayson Allen did what he's supposed to do. And he went out and shot well, five for 10 from three. I'm looking at a stat tonight. Our biggest lead was 17. Uh, the Bucks cut it within three or five there late, made it a little nerve wracking, but then Donovan Mitchell went to work and the strength of Donovan Mitchell year over year over year is just getting better and better. He can get to the hoop. And it's not his quickness. It's not his underhand scoop shot that we've seen so many times in Sonny's rookie season. Now it's his brute strength. Our biggest lead, like I mentioned, was 17. The Bucks did not lead at all tonight. From tip to buzzer, the Jazz were ahead in the game. So did, did Mitchell have a monster game, in your opinion? Giannis only had 25 points. Mitchell outscored him with 28. And so, and like you said, Mitchell kind of got a bucket when he needed to get the bucket the most. Is that your definition of a monster game? I think Mitchell and my definition of a monster game is more than two assists and more than four okay. rebounds. I think he's got to have a night where it's 26, eight and eight. He's got to have double the rebounds, 
and double the assists. So it's like 26, eight and eight would be what I would want him to average. He's got the ball in his hands enough that he can do that. And he's got to get back and rebound. The challenge with his rebounds and any pundit can look at this is Rudy Gobert is going to gobble up B round. Uh, rebounds. It doesn't matter who else is in. He is going to be around the rim, which is going to make it more difficult for Donovan to get more rebounds. But I'd love to see a monster game of 26, eight and eight or 32, eight and five or whatever it may be. Um, I did check a stat right before we got on the podcast. The Jazz are 30th in the league out of 30 teams, which is another definition of being last in assists per game. I don't know exactly what that means. They're still five and one, but I wonder if if, if more than our fair share of baskets are created by the player. And when you think about the way Clarkson plays and you think about the way that Donovan plays, they create their shots versus getting assisted to. That's fair to say. And if you look at some of these other all-stars like Luca or Giannis, they usually are getting around seven or six or seven assists a game. And that means that they are the focal point of the team. Um, but yeah, it's interesting. You would think with the Jazz would have more assists. It, that's a good point. Just because the, the size of Gobert and the alley-oops that we throw to him. But it, it is interesting though, because the Jazz do kind of have a unique team where four out of the five players on the court can bring the ball up and make their own plays happen. So yeah, it's, it's a different yeah, style. Tonight, tonight we didn't... Um... I mean, Ingles had a quiet game. He played 23 minutes, five points, one rebound, one assist. He only took one shot. Right. That it, it's fascinating to me to see these shot charts after the game. During the game, you're, you're somewhat seeing it. You're somewhat feeling it. But the shots tonight, really, the field goal attempts, 18 for Mitchell. And Clarkson had 17. So, when I go back to that funky stat about number of assists, those are your two top personal creators to get their shot on the team are Donovan Mitchell and Jordan Clarkson. A win covers up the challenges of that. A loss will expose that, which means they're not sharing the ball. And I wonder if Quinn is going to talk to them about that because that type of game doesn't necessarily win in my mind a lot of teams can plan for that they just see who's taking shots on the court then they can they can practice and and stop that from happening and then it shuts off our offense Um, another another quick takeaway the Bucks scored 18 points off of turnovers what is a good statistic in that category obviously zero is the best but what's an acceptable statistics for points off turnovers first of all how many turnovers would you allow in a game if you were a coach and then how many points off of turnovers? Well, the Jazz had 12 turnovers tonight. Um, it's not bad. I think that's probably where you have to be anywhere between that 9, 10, 11 turnovers a game will generally be your average. Um, the Jazz have a tendency when they turn it over to go, what, wait, what happened? And teams, run, and teams run on them. I've noticed that. I, I'm not saying it's a major flaw. I don't know how you coach around it. But if you watch the Jazz, and this might be most, I got to be careful here, this might be most veteran or older teams, they don't expend a lot of energy to get back when they make a turnover. And we, we're lacking two or three Royce O'Neills who are going to hustle back. It's like when we make a turnover, it's like, 
oh, what just happened? And we get beat down the floor. I love that question. I, I, I think we can go search up that answer. What's an acceptable number of turnovers and what's an acceptable number of points off turnovers? I think I said it earlier in another podcast, but anything under 13 kind of seems normal. Bucks only had nine turnovers and we had nine points off of those turnovers, but hopefully the jazz can mitigate that. And it, I mean, everybody's game is different. So we can always recover those points and recover the loss off the turnovers in our play just because we're shooting at such a high percentage that most times we have the ball in the court, we will score. Um, right. so hopefully the Jazz can – I mean, the statistics even out in our favor if you look at each one. We did get a little bit out-rebound, especially on the offensive end. They kind of had a lot of second-chance points. Yeah, that was one of my stats I was going to point out. The rebounds were even, 44 apiece, but you're right, 44 – or 13 offensive rebounds. When I see offering offensive rebounds, I think of being out-hustled. And uh, we were somewhat out hustled tonight on a few of those plays by the energy of some of the second string team that the Bucks had in there because Holiday, Middleton, and Lopez weren't in. One other stat that's really glaring, and you wonder if Mike Budenholzer, the coach of the Bucks, will bring it up in a post game interview tonight. The Jazz shot 27 free throws, and they made 25 of them. That is a lot of free throws. And a great percentage. We are shooting the ball well from the free throw line. Minus a few games with Rudy. The Bucks only shot six free throws. So 27 free throws by the Jazz, six by the Bucks, and really 10 fouls all game by the Jazz. Clean game. It was kind of a quick game. And 22 fouls by the Bucks. That's interesting. The Jazz – as much as I love them, they do like looking for fouls. Maybe Bogdanovich is like that. Maybe Go Gobert is getting more like that. But they seem maybe it's just their Europeanness coming out of them, where they just want to dramatize their contacts. And so that could be a reason for 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 the fouls being called in our favor. And again, we we're a team that can put that can put the other team in a tough situation defensively, where it's almost impossible not to foul. But yeah, and we, you're right. You see that, whether it's the European game in them or the veteran trying to draw the foul, we do that quite a bit. And a block shot might happen, and that's a turnover, and then it goes the other way, and they score. I'm, I'm trying to think as we're six games deep into this NBA season, if we've had a player go off. Conley actually has been very steady. And for Conley, he has played at a high level, I think in the five games that he's played this year. But I look at Bogdanovich. He had 14 points and five rebounds tonight. When is Bogey going to – he had 20 or 22, one of those first few games. But I want to see him go off and have a 30-game night or a 32- or 34-point game night. And I think the reason why you see him score 14 points tonight is I go back to that stat I've nailed now twice. We're not rotating the ball, right? And Bogdanovich scores – off of rotation and corner threes. Yeah. There. So it, it'll be interesting to see if, if someone can go off. But, you know, the Bucks and some of their statistics tonight, Giannis had 25, 7 and 6, solid game. Um, for Snell, and we talked about 18 points, 5 of 10 from 3. It's good to see George Hill, 11.6 rebounds. And um, Bobby Portis in tonight and played a really solid 19 minutes with 15 points, five rebounds and one assist. 
And he's kind of that hustle guy. Pascal came in tonight for us, had some good minutes, had a put back dunk that was really solid. I, I just would love to see more. And then I'll end with this on tonight. Another really rough three minutes for Jared Butler tonight. Definitely. He came in and I think Quinn was kind of seeing, letting him know, like not letting him know, but was kind of saying, okay, go in and, and just get your minutes and, and also see what you could do. Because we have Conley back. We have Mitchell who could play that position in Clarkson as well. So it's like, okay, we'll put Mitchell and Conley on the bench and then Clark or Butler go in and just play, get, get some minutes, get accustomed to the game. But he doesn't seem to be really where we want him to be. And it was just shocking because he had such a good uh, preseason. I, I'm, I like Quinn doing this, and I think he should still be allowed to do it more. Maybe Butler could have got a couple more minutes. It's sad because the Jazz, towards the end of the game, we started to lose our big lead of 15. So it would have been nice to be able to put in someone like Jared Butler. But this was a good game for it. I mean, the Jazz never went down, like you said, at the beginning of the game. We scored and never lost the lead since. So we did something right. And, and, I, and I like that Quinn is thinking of the – long-term game not just the gate the day-to-day game but the the season game yeah listen you're five and one um if we now switch a little bit to the league and go around the horn a little bit looking at the standings last night we did this as well the new york knicks in the table that i'm looking at here in the standings they're number one in the east yeah. at five and one the bulls five and one Wiz five and one miami five and one charlotte won tonight they go to five and two are they real you know, that's another question we were asking about teams and how real they are. The Nets won tonight. They're four and three. Uh, I, I'm going to point it out. And then the Jazz and the Warriors are both five and one in the West. There, there's kind of a little topic here I wanted to talk about. Which teams are disappointing out of the gate right now? And I'm going to give you two teams that I've seen. Number one in the East, the Boston Celtics are two and four and have lost two in a row. Here's one that many people might say, ah, they'll get it together. But I wonder, the Clippers are one and four and have lost two in a row. So in my mind, those two teams, East and West, respectively, the Celtics in the East at two and four and the Clippers in the West at one and four are something, are, is something to watch. Yeah, it's, it's definitely interesting. And even, I, I would say, Portland too is kind of in there as well. They're three and three. Lakers are three and three. They could have been a little bit better, but with um with the Lakers or with the the Clippers, that's very interesting. I, I guess I was just kind of brushing over them and assuming they were doing what they usually do. It could and and I hate saying this because it's not a fun thing to think about, but Leonard already has his rings. Do you think that's taking away from his ambition and motivation? Well, he's he's hurt, so he's not playing. Oh, that's true. He's still has the knee injury. I felt that way last year as he was moving through the season, but he's a hard one to read. We all know that he doesn't necessarily have emotion one way or the other. That said, Paul George wants to win. Um, and there are other guys on that team that want to win, but I think it's hard for them knowing that Kawhi is out for the next day. They, they had a tough schedule. I mean, we'd have to really go back and look at it because, I mean, the West is the West and the Jazz kind of have, I guess the Jazz have had a 50-50 schedule. We've kind of played some lower tier teams and then we played Milwaukee and the Nuggets and I had the Bulls. So I guess we've had like kind of 
a 50 50 type type competitiveness. Milwaukee has kind of let me down a little bit. The reigning champs are 500 right now, which I thought they'd be, I think they're ranked 10th right now in the East, which yeah, they're ranked 10th in the East, which kind of, I mean, early season, early to the season and other teams in the East are playing a lot better than I anticipated, but still there's three and four. Yeah. When you look at the Clippers, you have them losing to golden state, their opener, they lose to they lose to Memphis. Both Golden State and Memphis are really good teams this year. Golden State at five and one. Um, they beat the the Blazers, a team which you mentioned that might be interesting. They lost at home to the Cavaliers, and um, they then lost to the Clippers. So they've won. They beat the Clippers and they've lost. I mean the the Blazers. They beat the Blazers and they've lost to the Blazers. And they might get it back on track tomorrow night where they play Oklahoma City in LA. So, uh, you know, we'll see, we'll see where the Clippers go, but a couple of surprises there, right? Boston at two and four, albeit we could see them slipping near the end of the year last year, but the Clippers without Kawhi at one and four, you don't want to get too far down because of what was ushered in last year in the playoffs is the playing game. And if you get into that playing game in that like you know, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 range, you just never know what happens. I think Boston will recover. It's tough though, because you could say it, but then you have these ran not random, but you have these curveballs with like an East right now with Washington, with the bulls. I mean, you can kind of see why they're good, the Hornets, but like, it's just, it's funny to see how long this will last. I do think the nets are going to start to get heat up a little bit. They won tonight. I think the nets and Philadelphia are going to start making their runs to the three and the two and three seed, maybe number one. And I think Milwaukee will as well. So it all comes down to Boston just playing their game and not, but, but the problem is there's other teams up there that are also just randomly, because you could say, Oh, this is how the league will go at the beginning of the season. And I don't think anybody anticipated it to look like this about six games in. Yeah, again, last night I made the comment that David Locke had meant, had said, um, there are maybe five teams, maybe six teams where you should get a win right now. Detroit, Orlando, Indiana in the east. Right. Houston, OKC, and New Orleans in the west. But those might change. The reality is when I look at the east, it's going to be a dogfight. You have some really good teams in both conferences, but the East with Chicago, Washington, and Charlotte all playing at a high level. Someone's going to be on the outs this year that you go, oh my gosh, the Celtics didn't make the playoffs. Or, oh my gosh, the Raptors, that wouldn't be too much surprise, didn't make the playoffs. Or what if the Hawks have a Trey Young hiccup? Right. And they don't make the playoffs. There's a little bit of that in the West, a little bit of that. The Timberwolves and the Kings are surprising people right now, but I don't know if they sustain that. Um, maybe they do. Maybe those teams have got something that we don't know. Uh, and it'll be fun. I think you take, you take the season in, maybe you take it in 10 to 15 game increments. So we've got another four to, to eight games to go before we can call it, you know, a good chunk of the season. 
and maybe we leave it at that. But right now there's some surprising things. The Clippers at one and four and the Celtics at two and four. So I have a question and maybe this will segue into our talk of Ray Allen being in the top 75, but is this the most competitive league that you've seen throughout all your years of watching the NBA? What I mean is, is I would, I would absolutely say yes. From top to bottom. I, there's generally one or two surprise teams that you go, Oh, okay. They're going to be good this year. This year there's maybe six or eight, you know, you, again, you go back to those standings. I have to tell you the bulls build a great team and they're strong. The Knicks were coming alive last year. The Wiz surprised me. The Charlotte Hornets have been getting kind of in there. Right. So that's a surprise in the East. I have, I mean, we played the Kings. We had to play pretty well to beat them. So they're in the West and the Timberwolves in the West. And I would not count out the Grizzlies and John Morant, who is off to a great start this year. So my answer to your question is, I think instead of having one or two surprises, you have between six and eight surprises this year. So my answer is yes. So do you think it's because the league is just I because I personally just think it's because the league is getting more athletic as a league. I mean, still, the technicality is there. We have the best shooter in the league. And we'll talk a little bit about Ray Allen in a second. But I think because you look at like Charlotte, like Rosier just came back. He's an athletic person. You got Memphis um, or Sacramento where they have just athletic players. Do you do you think that these young athletic players coming into the league are making it a lot harder for other teams that have kind of exiting greats to, to perform. The, the game is changing and at your right on your spot on athletes are at an all time high, meaning there are so many athletes, but that has come with the game changing, right? The way that um, a Trey young can play nowadays. So the way that a John Morant can play nowadays, the way that Damian Lillard, pave the way for those players at their size to play back in the day, not too long ago, it might've been said that an Allen Iverson was unique and he was kind of a one of a kind in the league at the time, a very quick, a very small, a very agile point guard who was putting up 30 points a night. Um, Steve Nash, I guess did it. But my point is now you're seeing it almost on every club that they have an athlete that can go and get you a bucket, just like you said, and the athleticism is causing a ton of parity in the league. No longer do you have your back-to-the-back post-up guys like Carl Malone or Kevin McHale or Charles Barkley or Tim Duncan. The game has changed, and so you can really be a quick athlete and make your team that much better. Yeah, I, I agree, too. And as we go, we, we talk, we, like we've been doing, we've been talking about the, we go in alphabetical order about the 75 anniversary team. And on that list is Ray Allen. And I've known Ray Allen as the greatest shooter of all time when I was kind of in my younger days growing up. What can you tell me about him? You're, you're right. He, there, there are many ambassadors of the three point shot. You can go back and, Maybe we'll do a segment someday on the great three-point shooters. They've been out there. But he was on the cusp. He and Reggie Miller were ushering in the importance of the three-point shot Mm. and how it would change a game. And they started to break down the mentality of, well, maybe I should take more threes. And then that just, the the dam broke when 
you know, Steph Curry started to make it happen and, and Clay Thompson, but kind of a pioneer of that three-point game and, and a gun for hire that could come out and make a three-point shot and just made a career of it, a two-time NBA champion with the Celtics and the Heat, a 10-time NBA All-Star, and a two-time All-NBA player. Smooth, smooth shot, and in my mind, deserving of being on this list because of his three-point prowess and how he could change a game and impact the game overall. I think he should be on the list as well. As I said, he was kind of the standard, not standard, but he was kind of the look up to three-point shooter. I always knew him as the greatest three-point shooter of all time. Um, started out on the Supersonics, right? And then he went to the Celtics and then went to Miami. He is known for his iconic shot with Miami in game six, I believe, against Sac- against San Antonio, where LeBron missed a shot and they were going to lose in Miami. They are going to lose the finals. And the ball went to Bosch, who dished it out. I think it went to Bosch. Dished yep. it out to Ray Allen who hit a three to, to help them win the game. That was one of the most iconic shots of this generation and definitely helps LeBron secure another ring for himself. But, I mean, Ray Allen was part of the big three back with Paul Pierce and Kevin, Kevin Garnett, arguably the first big three team to, to start and, and uh, caused a lot of other moves around the league. But, and it was because he had that three-point shot that opened up the game and quick release, very technical, very smooth and shaped basketball to kind of usher in what we're doing now. Yeah. Great memory on that play broke the Spurs back. This was a team that was a dynasty and they're a few seconds away from winning another championship. Cause I think in game six, if San Antonio wins, they win the NBA championship, but the heat win that game on that shot or helps them win that game. And then they go on to win their championship. Ray Allen holds the record right now for the most three-point field goals in a career, and that's 2,973. I don't know how up-to-date this is, but I have Steph Curry at 2,863, so he's 110 below Ray Allen. Um, Should pass he that. might break that record this year if you think about it. Let's say Steph's got how many more games. He's got 70. He's got 76 more games. He just needs two a game pretty much, and he'll be fine. Right. So, un- un- unfortunately, Ray's record is within reach this season. And then Reggie Miller is third with 2,560. So, Steph will pass Ray Allen. However, he definitely deserves to be on the list because he leads the league in all-time three-point field goals made. Yeah, definitely. And we'll see how the rest of the – the league goes. Hopefully there'll be more great three-point shooters to come. And we're excited for the Warriors to have Clay Thompson back in their threes. You know, what's interesting on the three-point as I look at those records, the most three-point field goals made by a rookie in a season is Donovan Mitchell with 187. So I think our own the, Donovan Mitchell holds a record for a rookie season, three points made. The player, let me pull up the, on the Rockets. The What do you know the Rockets rookie? He, um, Jalen Green? I think so. I got the stat right here. Give me one second. Um, he set the record. He, he had eight threes um, the, other, the other day, which is the most three. Oh, in, in, a ga- in a game. game. Yeah. Most threes hit by a rookie is eight. Jalen Green. In a game. Wow. 
Yeah. Well, we'll see. I, I, Donovan Mitchell's record is pretty impressive of how many threes he made that rookie year. It was a magical year for him. Um, so yeah. it's impressive. So what's the next move for the, what's the next game for the Jazz? So now the Jazz had, um, I think they head back home now. They come off the road and um, they go back home for Tuesday night against Sacramento and then quickly back out on the road to Atlanta, Miami, and Orlando. Sacramento is going to be a tough get. I know they're at home. I know we beat them earlier in yeah. this season, but they're much improved, and we're going to have to be on our game. Hopefully we'll get on a plane right now. We'll be back in Salt Lake later tonight. We'll take tomorrow and maybe have a shoot around and be ready to go uh, Tuesday night, 9 Eastern, 7 Mountain against Sacramento. All right. Sounds great. Anything else, Dad? Uh, that's it. When you look at some stats about the Jazz, 5-1, and one, head of the Western Conference, 10th in points per game at 111, 5th in rebounds a game at 50.2, again, 30th in assists per game. I don't know if that's where we want to be, but Quinn's offense is predicated on touching the ball. I'm surprised we're 30th in the league in assists. And then offensive points per game, which is our defensive rating, we're third, allowing 98.3. So night be last night in Chicago hurt our defensive rating, but we still are top, you know, one of the top teams in the league at third. Yeah, we can definitely make an impact this season. And I think the Jazz are addicted to winning and want to make a, a point. So we'll see you guys all on Tuesday. Thanks, Dad. Happy Halloween. All right. Happy Halloween.